Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston. Here at Drilling Deep, we drill deep into the world of oil since that's where I came from. And oil is the straw that stirs the drink in the world of trucking. No oil, no trucks moving. We also drill deep into an issue of the week. And this week, we're going to look at something that's both good and something terrible, bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is always terrible because it means companies are painfully reorganizing or they're going out of business. What our guest in the second half of the podcast is going to tell us, and he's an attorney, is that an act of almost incredible fortuitousness, Congress last year passed a law making it easier for smaller companies like trucking firms to use the bankruptcy law to stay in business rather than just exiting the scene. But first, let's talk about what's going on with oil. All these historical days are getting so routine. It's starting to wear me out. We've had crude prices below zero. We've had the biggest drops percentage-wise in the history of the crude market. But all of this spilled over into diesel the other day. I know I've talked and written about how the fundamentals of the diesel market make it look weak, and I still feel that. What I've also stressed is that I thought diesel was weak relative to the rest of the barrel. In other words, diesel was going to underperform what other prices like gasoline and crude did. On Tuesday of this week, West Texas Intermediate Crude Prices, that's the one that dropped below zero for a day not all that long ago, continue to climb. And on that day, on Tuesday, it ended up more than 20% higher than on Monday. It settled at a little more than $24.50 a barrel after being as low as $12 the day after the decline under zero. And on that day, on Tuesday, the ultra-low sulfur diesel contract on CME rose about 11%. But comparing to diesel to WTI is always a bit of a weak comparison because diesel is very much of a world product and WTI is a lot less connected to the world. But Brent crude oil is very much a world product like diesel. Physical Brent was up about a whopping 23% that day. So, yes, diesel was lagging the rest of the market, even as the overall price of oil was rising. So a day later on Wednesday, the wholesale price of diesel, known in the industry as the rack, that was up about 6 to $0.08, cents depending upon location. Uh, that's Those are the locations I looked at, but nationally, the uh, fuels.usa data series in sonar was up more than eight cents a gallon. So, you know, it's a, it's a minor milestone, but I think what we can say is this. We've had 16 weeks of consecutive declines in the price of the weekly EIA DOE diesel price that's used to set the price of diesel and fuel surcharges. That is almost certainly going to end next week. With those sorts of increases in wholesale prices, there's no way the retail prices can continue to go down, even though as of Wednesday, from Tuesday to Wednesday, it still did drop. The reality is that, as we've discussed before, refineries in the U.S. made lots and lots of diesel in the past few weeks. Gasoline demand collapsed. Diesel is a, and another big factor is that diesel is a distillate like jet fuel, and the refineries are faced with an even bigger collapse in the price of jet fuel. So even as they think that gasoline demand might start to come back soon as the lockdowns ease, nobody thinks that jet fuel demand is about to take a similar jump. So distillate molecules that might have gone into the jet fuel mix previously are now being pushed into the diesel pool. So there is plenty of diesel out there. You want to know how much? Let's talk about this week's inventory figures. It revealed that inventories for the week were way up. It was 9.5 million barrels this past week. Now, the only Increases I can find bigger than that in the history of the data series going back to the early 80s are a couple of times around Christmas and the end of the year. But remember, distillate includes heating oil. 
So at that time of year, number one, you usually have a, you certainly have a, a turndown in, in diesel demand for trucking. And number two, you've got inventories building up in anticipation of winter. So the fact that it was up 9.5 million barrels this past week in May is just amazing. Really, really unprecedented. So let's, uh, let's talk though about inventories without giving you a lot of big numbers that can be kind of tough to follow. Let's talk about something called days supply. So what the EIA does is it takes demand per day, it divides that into the amount of diesel in inventory, and the result is day's supply. Basically, it's if you would shut off all new supplies of diesel and you just drew down from an inventory, how many days would it last? That number in the past week is close to 50. It's only been higher than 50 a few times in the history of the data series, really in the months right after the, the Great Recession started in nineteen, uh, act, in, in 2008, 2009. Those are the only times I could find a number above 50. So, And it's way, way off the chart compared to what it usually should be at this time of year. So while the price at the pump for diesel may be starting to rise, be assured that it is not because the diesel market is tightening. Diesel right now is just going along for a ride on the back of crude that is strengthening as the world shuts in output and people start to drive their cars a little more. That number on output in the U.S. that came out this week, remember, it was 13.1 million barrels a day U.S. crude output in, I guess, February, late January, early February. It is down now under 12 million barrels a day. That's obviously very important to the trucking sector because there are a lot of trucking jobs that are now gone. They were serving the oil sector, and that oil sector now is significantly smaller. So, you know, I wrapped up my segment on oil on Drilling Deep last week by saying there's plenty of diesel. I'll say it again, but this time there's even more diesel than there was last week. We are now going to turn our attention to the question of survival. In recent episodes of this podcast, we've had different guests on to talk about the PPP program, the payroll protection program that is supposed to keep people employed and help pay the rent and some other expenses during the pandemic. But it's supposed to do that for just a few months. Then what? Bankruptcy always looms for a small or medium-sized company in the supply chain. Amazingly, Congress actually did something last year. I know Congress gets the rap of never doing anything, but they they did something fairly significant. Usually it's hyperpartisanship that kills everything, but they were able to agree on changes in the nation's bankruptcy laws. And those changes are targeted at the type of small companies that you tend to find in trucking and transportation. In short, the idea was to create a middle ground between Chapter 11 and Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Chapter 11 allows a company to reorganize itself and continue on in a different structure. Chapter 7 means you're going to be liquidated and disappeared. The problem for a lot of smaller companies is that Chapter 11 is too complex and expensive. So for a lot of smaller companies, they really don't have much other option but go out of business under Chapter 7. So with us today on Drilling Deep from the law firm of Haynes & Boone is Matt Ferris. Matt is a Dallas-based partner with the firm. He and a partner recently wrote a piece on the changes in the bankruptcy law and what it might mean for the survival of smaller companies that might otherwise be facing liquidation. So, Matt, thank you for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Thank you for having me. I guess there's an old phrase that says timing is everything. And I think in this case, timing really is everything with this uh, overhaul to the bankruptcy laws being passed last year. So how big a deal is that for the universe of smaller companies out there that really never would have had a shot making it through the Chapter 11 process? Yeah, look, I think it's it's a very significant piece of legislation and, and a, a significant amendment to the bankruptcy provisions, the bankruptcy code. 
Um, it, it, chapter 11 generally is, is, a, is an expensive process. Um, and so the cost of the process can be prohibitive for companies of a certain size. And as you noted in, in your introduction, that the practical result of that means that many companies are forced to go the chapter seven route, which, which effectively means it's the end of the business. They liquidate their assets uh, and typically cease operations. So by streamlining the chapter 11 process and, and eliminating some of the more costly elements of a typical chapter 11 case, uh, the small business Re- reorganization act makes it possible for companies that otherwise wouldn't have been able to avail themselves in Chapter 11 to actually go in and reorganize and continue to be an operating business once they emerge from the bankruptcy. Now, you know, you, you also mentioned the timing. It, it was very significant that the act became effective on February 19th, 2020, shortly before um, really the, the full effects of the pandemic became uh, became known. But the original threshold for the to, to avail yourself of the new provision was uh, just a little bit over $2.7 million in, in total debt. Um, so from a business standpoint, that is still a, a pretty low threshold. And, and there's, there's going to be a lot of companies that wouldn't be able to come in under that threshold and take advantage of these provisions. But under the CARES Act, that debt limitation was increased to $7.5 million dollars. Um, which I think is going to have a very significant impact in the number of companies that are eligible uh, to take advantage of, of these new uh, this new small business restructuring. Wait, let me clear up something. The two point seven million threshold and the seven point five is that the minimum amount of debt or the maximum amount of debt under these new provisions? Yeah, good, good question. That's the maximum amount of debt. Okay, so so previously, if you were if you had under two point seven million dollars in debt. You could have taken advantage of this, and now because of the CARES Act, that that number goes up to seven point five. So let, let, let's just clar- let me clarify something else too. This is not a new chapter in the bankruptcy law. This is a revision of the Chapter Eleven process. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. That is correct. Okay. So can you give us uh, some examples of some of the changes that are allowed under this that maybe weren't available earlier? Sure. So I think that there's a couple that I think are the most significant. There's a number of changes that are designed to just streamline the process and make it more efficient and therefore more cost effective. But I think there's a couple that really make it significantly different from a typical Chapter 11 case. The first one being that there are no unsecured creditors committees in these under the small business provision. So in, in a Typical Chapter 11 case, it's common for a committee to be formed um, that is responsible for representing the interests of the unsecured creditor class. Um, and that, that committee can then hire advisors, including counsel and financial advisors and, and others, um, that are paid by the bankruptcy estate. So effectively, they are paid by the debtors. Um, and Who already have enough problems. Who already are are financially strapped, and they're paying their own advisors and the and the cost of administering the Chapter Eleven case, and so now there's this additional layer of cost, which can be significant, and so that is that eliminates one significant area of cost. Another area, and we can talk more about this, but there's some nuances with respect to getting a plan confirmed. So the goal of a Chapter Eleven is ultimately to confirm a plan of reorganization, which basically is the document that 
details what creditors are going to get and how they're going to get it. So it's, it's effectively your contract, the debtor's contract with his creditors for paying what they they have are going to get under this plan of, of reorganization that allows the debtor to emerge from, from chapter 11. Um, the, the requirements, the thresholds to obtain confirmation of a plan are lower under the small business um, reorganization act. And so it's easier to confirm a plan. And that's oftentimes where there's a significant amount of litigation and cost in a chapter 11 case is over meeting the debtor's ability to meet the requirements to confirm a plan. And so that is made easier uh, under the small business provisions. And then the last thing I point out is there's something called um, the absolute priority rule uh, in, in bankruptcy and in chapter 11, which basically means um, as you move down the capital stack, the, the lowest rung can't keep anything under a plan unless the rung above that class is getting paid in full. And where that typically affects, has the most impact is on equity holders. So if you, if you own the equity of a company, a, a debtor in Chapter 11, you can't keep your equity unless the class above you, unsecured creditors, is getting paid in full or you contribute some kind of new value that, that merits you getting to keep your equity. And so what that means in a lot of small business cases is the owner of the company um, that you know, has built this company into a meaningful business is not able to keep the company in Chapter 11 unless they're able to come up with some kind of new capital contribution to justify keeping their, their equity. Under the small business provisions, the absolute priority rule doesn't exist. So uh, even if, say, unsecured creditors are not getting paid in full, uh, the equity owner can keep their equity uh, once they've confirmed the plan. So that, that's, oh, that's significant for, for the business owners. Yeah, and significant for a, an industry like the one that we cover, the trucking industry, because the equity many times is owned by one individual or two individuals um, along those lines. Now, let me ask, have you seen – I mean, it's been, what, two and a half months now since this became law – uh, have you seen a lot of companies filing under these provisions? I mean, can, yeah. can you know that? Can you know? I mean, when do they just go in and they file Chapter Eleven, and then you really have to wait to see how it's worked out under what provisions it's worked out uh, as it goes through the courts? Yeah, so I have not at this point seen any statistical reporting as far as how many of these small business cases have been filed, um, and, and I don't know how you know, we do get reports that show filing information and, and uh, you know, number of of chapter 11, chapter seven's filed. Um, I don't know if there's going to be some, somebody that's, that reports on and is monitoring that, you know, how the number of small business cases versus just typical chapter 11. I suspect we'll get some visibility on that here in the coming months. Uh, but at this point I haven't seen, um, I haven't seen any statistics to, to see exactly how, how many people have taken advantage of the program so far. Um, but I, I'll also say there has certainly been, a increase in chapter 11 filings over the last couple of months, but I don't think we haven't seen just this wave of bankruptcy filings. And I think that is in part because uh, a lot of people have sort of been waiting to see what happens, um, you know, given just the, the unknown and the uncertainty that, that has existed over the last month and the way that it's basically caused business just completely shut down. Um, I think there was a little bit of a reluctance uh, on all parties' parts to kind of really start going through the effort of, of restructuring businesses until there was some more clarity as to what was going to happen on a go-forward basis with the economy. And so I think I think we're yet to see 
kind of the full impacts and the full effects. I think over the coming months, we'll see more people taking advantage of this as, and this maybe seems counterintuitive, but as the economy begins to reopen a little bit more and there's actually a, a path to reorganize as opposed to now where everything's shut down and there's just, you know, there's nothing you can really do as long as the economy's completely shut down. Well, now you Haynes and Boone, I know, is known for a lot of work in the oil patch. You publish that um, that fig, that report every month uh, that is really well, really watched closely or every quarter about the number of bankruptcies. Uh, our area tends to be in trucking, but the oil patch is an extremely important sector uh, for the oil industry. Is this particularly well suited to keeping some oil companies alive? Yeah, you know, I I, I don't know that. Um that this will benefit one industry any more than another. Um, you know, obviously the, the oil and gas industry is kind of facing its own unique challenges with the, what's happened with, with pricing in, in the market. Um, so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that this would be more targeted to that industry than anything else. And, and frankly, um, you know, I think that, that there is going to be issues with maintaining employees in that industry as well. And so we may have el- eligibility issues uh, and loan forgiveness issues, maybe more so in that industry than, than others. Okay. Do you have any particular insight into trucking and transportation? Is that a sector you've done a lot of work with? Uh, so historically I have done some, some work in the, you know, the transportation industry and the trucking industry in particular uh, have not uh, more recently had any restructurings in that space, but um, you know, I'm generally familiar with the industry and, and some of the, um, you know, the unique aspects of the industry, if there's anything you want to specifically talk about. Um, I'm, I, let's, let's go back. I, I know I kind of have a guess how you might answer this because you indicated that there's not a lot of filings under this. It's still a little early. But why wouldn't a company choose this route instead of Chapter 7? It gives them a chance to stay alive. But based on your knowledge, though, the way the law was written versus Chapter 7, what would make a company just say, ah, you know what, the heck with it. I'm, I'm just going Chapter 7. Well, um, and, and for some companies, that, that may make sense, frankly. You know, again, there, there's always the issue of is there a business to reorganize around? So if ultimately, um, you know, the, the reduction in cost and the increase in efficiency makes, makes Chapter 11 a possibility, if at the end of the day, the you can't make the business work even after restructuring, it just doesn't cash flow. So you know, there's you, you can you can fix Chapter Eleven helps fix the balance sheet issues. You can fix the debt side, but it doesn't necessarily fix the revenue side. And so there absolutely has to be a, a productive business that you can salvage for Chapter Eleven to make sense. You know, right, and, and yeah, and it's been said trucking companies tend not to have a lot of debt, even. Um, uh, even the publicly traded companies, uh, their their balance sheet might not be great in some cases, but it's usually not because they're dealing with a massive amount of debt. Right. So, yeah. you, are you are you as a bankruptcy attorney expecting to be about the busiest people in town uh, over the next several months? Uh, how how bad do you think it's going to get? Well, so first of all, I, I would say that um, we were seeing an uptick in in activity prior to. Prior to COVID, so it, we were seeing more activity just in the restructuring market generally, um, and so you know wh- whether that was reflective of, of a softening in the economy or not, I, I don't know. But we definitely were seeing more activity, uh, and then with this, you know, again, it's not so much that there certainly have been, I would say, an overall increase in filings, but so far it has been filings in industries that were impacted 
prior to, to COVID. So it was industries that you, you would have expected to see these companies filing. It just maybe accelerated the process a little bit for them. Um, and so more of what we've been doing is sort of prospectively advising what, what do we, you know, here, here's these immediate issues that we've got to deal with uh, because the economy is completely shut down. We're not cash flowing. How do we address this? You know, how do we deal with our, our lenders? You know, what, what, what can we do to proactively kind of get out in front of this? And, and so that's been a big focus and, and we have absolutely been very busy on that. And then I, I do think, again, it, it seems counterintuitive, but I think as the economy begins to reopen uh, and businesses start to operate, you actually may see at that point an increase in the number of actual filings because then people can start projecting accurately. What is my business going to look like on a go forward basis? Is there a business to, to restructure around like we talked about? Um, and, and given all that, does it make sense for me to try to do some kind of restructuring through a, a bankruptcy proceeding? I'm going to ask a final question. It's a little bit complicated. Generally, when you find people going Chapter 11 or let, – let, let's take a company that goes Chapter 7 that might otherwise get rescued by this. Do they always hire a bankruptcy attorney or do they sometimes use their own personal attorney? And the reason I ask that is you know, I'm kind of curious to see, say you really haven't – seen that many companies use this yet? I mean, I'm just wondering if the word is out there. Um, could there be small companies that are going the Chapter 7 route without really great counsel, without the knowledge of companies like Haynes and Boone on, on restructuring? Is Could that be a reason out there that you're not seeing this surge yet, taking advantage of this law? Yeah, I, you know, I, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know how widely known this this new program is and these amendments to the Bankruptcy Code are. Um, you know, so to answer your direct, your question directly to file a chapter seven, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty simple process. Now there, it, there are some things that, um, I think most companies would benefit from having counsel advise them on, cause there are some documents that have to be prepared in connection with the filing. But what happens with when a chapter seven is filed, a chapter seven trustee is appointed and basically comes in and is responsible for liquidating the assets. So, the company really doesn't have a, a large role in, in the chapter seven proceeding as opposed to the chapter 11, where the, the debtor remains in control of its business and is responsible for, um, you know, advancing through to a, to a restructuring. But, uh, you know, definitely for anybody that's out there that is, you know, in, in a situation where they need some kind of, of relief, um, some kind of debt relief, um, you know, to, to seek the advice of counsel with respect to whether, the small business provisions are are something that they should look at, something that they should consider before they just go ahead and and either shut shut the business outside of a bankruptcy or just file a Chapter Seven and, and allow allow their assets to be liquidated because it's not going to be for everybody. Um, as, as we talked about, there are some businesses that just aren't going to be viable. Um, but but this is a is I think a really good option for a lot of small businesses. And again, with with the the debt. The, the debt ceiling raised to 7.5 million. I think there's some, some decent sized companies that would fall within that bucket um, that, that would be able to avail themselves of the chapter 11 restructuring for a significantly less expensive process than it otherwise would have been. Well, let's hope that everybody will listen to Drilling Deep and hear your words, and they'll they'll come rushing to companies like you to get themselves through this new Chapter 11. I was going to call this sort of Chapter 9 in between 7 and 11, but you made it pretty clear this is just uh, another change in, ch in Chapter 11. So I want to thank Matt Ferris of Haynes & Boone for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Matt, uh, join us again. Maybe we'll talk to you in a few months about how things are going. Sounds great. Thanks, John. 
We are part of the FreightWaves family of FreightCast podcasts, all of which you can find on FreightWaves.com or on all the leading platforms out there for podcasts. Please join us again. I'm John Kingston.